Father, I pray now that by your Spirit you will show us our identity that you have given us in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, just a preliminary comment, and Matt's already pretty much said this, but the lectionary has assigned us to read from both Luke and Galatians. But since the other preachers have preached from Galatians, we're going to just meditate for just a few minutes on uh, Galatians 6, but think about it in the context of the whole letter of Galatians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. That is how Paul greeted his Galatian readers in chapter 1. Wow, and that should blow your hair back just a bit. It is the word we hear in our midst today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Can you remember a time where you were just itching to get out of something, like waiting for the clock to count down, like right now probably? Um, well, what immediately comes to mind for me is my senior consumer mathematics class. It was the last period of the day. It wasn't a difficult class, but you know, it was, I didn't see the point in it. And I, I can remember sitting in a particular seat every day, looking over to the left-hand side of the room, waiting for 255 to come. And I know you've all been there. You've had to go to a family reunion because you didn't want to upset a family member or you've had to have a dreaded conversation, or whatever, um, and you were just waiting and itching for the time to come to an end. Well, in my case, I was waiting for the bell of freedom, the 255 bell of freedom. That bell meant I was free. And that may not be the greatest analogy for right now, but in a similar way, we who gather here today, we have heard God's bell of freedom we have heard a bell of freedom in our midst. But what is it that we are freed from, you might ask? Well, this is the bell that is rung in our midst. This is the bell of freedom, that God is now delivering us from this present evil age, this present world order. And we, we here and now, we are a community that gathers around that bell of freedom, that good news, that good message. And just so, we are a community that stands at the intersection of this world that is passing away, this present evil age, and the age to come, which is rooted in Jesus Christ, where God will dwell with us forever. The scriptures again and again call us as the church to recognize the reality that we are currently in. Paul writes to the Philippians, just for a few examples, Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, he calls this generation a crooked and twisted generation. A twisted generation. Or then to the church at Ephesus, he writes to them in chapter 5, Walk as children of light. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in, listen, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. He goes on, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world, namely Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has literally blinded us as un- when we are unbelievers to keep us from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is because, as John writes in chapter 1, we dwell in darkness, he says. Or for one more example, just read the first chapter of Mark. As soon as Jesus is introduced to us, where does the Spirit send him out? He sends him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The point of Mark is to say that Jesus has come to do battle with Satan himself. He has come into this pit, this abyss, this current dark order. He has come to do battle with Satan himself. And Jesus' work then is totally cosmic in scope. And that is why, if you think of Old Testament passages where it will say, when God comes, the mountains will melt like wax before his coming. All creation is about to bear witness to what he is about to do. He is delivering us from this present world order. And that's not typically how we like to think of sin. We typically think of sin as individual wrongs, just random religious codes that we break. But the biblical storyline tells us of something much deeper and darker. This message from Paul, John, and Mark ultimately should make us realize that the darkness is not just out there. It's not just in that one person who did this or that. It's not just in the person who wronged me in this way or that way. No, the darkness is inside here. It's inside me, Brandon Bennett, too. The reformer Martin Luther famously called sin being curved in on oneself. In curvatus say curved in on oneself. Sin is a disease that makes us bent inward. And when we are all individuals who are bent inward, curved in on ourselves, it doesn't take too long before the effect multiplies. Not only individuals who are sinners, but whole societies. We will sin against one another. We will do exactly what the law commands us to do. I don't need to give you examples of that. You just turn on the news and you'll see what I'm talking about. We will, we will participate in systemic societal injustices. This is the present evil age. Might it be true then that if this is our present evil age, if we dwell in a present evil age, that what we tend to call natural and right, what we tend to call natural and right is actually our prison? And if that is the case, if we actually dwell in a prison in this present dark order, might it be then that our best, highest, and most religious attempts are pointless? Might it be that as we are feverishly attempting to reach God, we miss Him and His descent to us in Jesus Christ? Might it be that we miss God making Himself known to us? And you see, here's where the atheist tends to be a bit more honest than the religious. Because the God that we can reach is truly a sham. He is a figment of our imagination. He is nothing but a mere image of ourselves. Completely worthless of our time. And Christianity would agree. Christianity would agree with the atheist. But Christianity, very unlike all our best religious attempts, it is not a self-improvement project 
It is not some futile attempt to climb to some sort of God. No, it's not a spirituality or a morality or a therapy or even a worldview, and it's definitely not a little bit of positive thinking. Rather, it starts as an announcement of news, that we live in a prison, this present dark world order. We live in this present evil age. Christianity is news from across the seas. We could have never dreamed it up. It is nowhere else to be found. It is totally other. Because the gospel, Christianity, is God's fire alarm of a coming new world. The gospel tells us you cannot escape. What you live in is a prison. And if that is the case, perhaps what we might ask ourselves is, who will deliver us? Who will deliver us? Paul says it up front to the Galatians. God climbing down the mountain to us. God reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who delivers us from this present world order. You see then that Christianity is news. It is not advice for better living. So do you see then that we as the community called the church, we are God's people who have heard his signal, his fire alarm, his bell of freedom? This is precisely what the gospel is. It is good news. It is God's radical breaking in. It is his rupture of, what, of the way things currently are. It is his new world order found in Jesus Christ. And so it must be said with unmistakable, absolute clarity. The gospel tells us not of our human possibility and what we can and must do. It tells us of what God has done in history on our behalf in Jesus Christ. We have heard that message, the fire alarm of that coming new world. And so let us then say with Paul, as he says in Galatians 6, Far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, have any of you heard of the Civil Wars? Do you listen to the Civil Wars? If you haven't, if you have Apple Music or Spotify, um, in just a few minutes, download it. Um, but there's, uh, uh, Joy Williams is one of the singers... Uh, in the Civil Wars, and she came out with an album called Venus last summer, and I think there's a song she sings that really illustrates this point that I'm trying to get at. If you listen to the album from beginning to end, you'll, you'll notice a sort of story emerge. She basically tells herself, I need to be a good woman, I need to, um, you know, perform as a woman as society tells me to, I need to be important, and whatever life throws my way, I need to trudge through. And then by the end of the album, you can tell that she's getting exhausted. Um, and then uh, the very last song, it's amazing, you've got to listen to it. Joy Williams, Welcome Home is the name of it. Write it down and download it. Uh, she sings these words um, in Welcome Home. And as we, you know, I'm about to quote it, but um, what I imagine as I'm hearing it is I, I can picture a woman who is exhausted walking up the pavement to her house, walking up the stairs. She's in the cold. She's exhausted. And then she sings these, these words that her, her husband says to her, Welcome home. Welcome home. 
It's so good to see your face. Welcome home. Come inside from the cold and rest your weary soul. You belong. You are loved. You are wanted. You're not alone. I've missed you so. Jesus' Father says the same exact words to us. You, church, in the Son, the Father says to us, You are my Son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are wanted. You are welcome. You belong. You are loved. In my Son, I show you the same love that I give to my Son. That is the Gospel. One more illustration uh, that I recently heard from Tim Keller, who is pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, I think it's an analogy that uh, helps us see the connection between the rest of Galatians and Galatians 5 and 6, what we've just read from. So there's an old Boris Karloff film called The Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Yeah, The Bride of Frankenstein. And in the movie, uh, there's a scene where uh, the monster is uh, running through the woods, Um, You know, he can't talk, he's a monster, he's stitched together, uh, can't talk, so not really a human. And then he comes upon a cottage in the woods. And then he goes into the cottage, and there what he sees is an old blind man who is praying. And the old blind man is praying for a friend who will come comfort him in his loneliness. And so then what you begin to see is that the old blind man and the monster become friends. And slowly what happens is that the monster begins to become human. They eat together, they drink, the monster begins to actually say words. Well, I don't know about you, but the monster is a picture of me. The monster is a picture of me. I was stitched together by all sorts of identities. What I tried to make of myself, what my parents said of me, what friends said of me, But what I needed was someone outside of me. What you and I both need is a friend, the ultimate friend, someone outside of us to love us and to actually make us human. And this is precisely what Galatians tells us. Jesus Christ is given to deliver us from this present evil age, to rescue and restore us to who we were created to be, in short, to make us human. Here is the good news. When we were unlovely, when we weren't very human, God showed his one-way love to us in Jesus Christ. You, church, that is your identity. As Paul says in Galatians 5, you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom because this is who you were created to be, to find your identity in the life of the triune God. This is what Paul is getting at in Galatians 5 and 6. Because we have seen God's signpost of a coming new world, we should live in light of that identity. Because the Spirit has led us in on the love that the Father and Son have always had for one another. He has led us in on the conversation of heaven. You are welcome. You are loved. Right? So in light of that, in light of Jesus loving himself, excuse me, loving us, giving of himself for us, so ought we to love one another in this community. The law, he says, is comprised of what? Loving others. But that only makes sense in light of who we are. Live in light of your identity. 
The Father has shown His immeasurable love to us. And because we are now the community uh, that are God's children, we are sons and daughters, and just so we are co-heirs with Christ, and we have His Spirit. And so what does it mean to walk in light of the Spirit? Well, one real tangible way is what we just read in Galatians 6. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you see someone in spiritual or physical need, give of yourself in love to the other person. Just as God in Christ showed you kindness, so you show kindness to your neighbor. That is the message. Live in light of your identity. To be a Christian is to be more fully human. So live in light of that. We are the first signs of spring in this winter of sin. We're, we're the little bud that is emerging from the plant in March or April. We are the community that is united to Christ, which is why Paul says in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Or as he says in chapter 2, it is no longer I who live, So we can say, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We are the community that has heard God's fire alarm of a coming new world. So as he says in verse 10, if that is the case, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So church, perhaps as the church and Christianity is pushed to the margins in our day, Maybe we might remember again what was so striking to the pagan Romans back 2,000 years ago, that the church showed selfless love to one another. Not the kind of generic love that everyone likes to talk about these days, but just as God in Christ gave of himself for us, so ought we to do to one another. Doing good no longer for ourselves, but as 1 Peter says, that others may see your good deeds and so glorify God. Now, in just a moment, we're going to sing Thy Strong Word. And I want you to notice the lyrics as you sing. Verse 2 describes us as those who lived in darkness and death, but into that abyss shone the light of Jesus Christ. His light cut right through the darkness. Lo, on those who dwelt in darkness, dark as night and deep as death, broke the light of Thy salvation, breathe Thine own life-giving breath. And then in a few minutes, too, Andrew and our musicians will sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Listen to the words when he sings them. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers. Which word? That word. The fire alarm of a coming new world. That word the proclamation of divine forgiveness, that word, the word of Jesus Christ, the word of your freedom, of our freedom. Have you heard that fire alarm? Have you heard that proclamation of Jesus Christ? If you have not, come now, look to him, and live. And now, brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age, be with your spirit. Amen.